Hello and welcome to the Learning That Sticks podcast. I'm Mark Williams from GiraffePad, the learning platform for learning journeys. In this podcast series, I'm chatting with experts from around the world of learning development, exploring with them their different ideas, their techniques, their methods for creating learning solutions that truly stick. In this episode, and one I have been particularly looking forward to recording, I have got the pleasure of chatting with Joanna Rawbone, and we are going to explore a subject that is close to my heart, but particularly close to Joe's heart, and that's the subject of introversion in learning from both a learner's perspective and possibly also facilitators too. Joe, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be here, Mark. Thank you, thank you. And listen, we, we got, we've got lots to talk about because we have a real shared interest in this. Um, but maybe just for our listeners' benefits, could I get you to give just a little bit of a background to yourself as to how you got to where you are now in your career and in your areas of expertise? That would be great. Okay, well, I hope you've got long enough because I'm so old that I've got a long, a long background, Mark. Um, but in, in essence, I um, having been an engineer in BT, I found my niche in uh, my, my passion, I suppose, in 87 when I was promoted to my first training role. Because in those days, we called it training. We didn't call it learning and development back in 87. It was still training. And I was still at BT, and it's when we introduced um, total quality management. and despite the first two weeks of thinking, I can't do this, I found absolutely what I love doing. So I've been in the world of learning and development since 1987. And it was in 94 when I finally left BT after a couple of decades of experience that I thought, right, I'm going to take some time out. I know I want to set up my own business. And in that time out, I'm going to I'm going to design, I'm going to craft what I want my business to be. And then, of course, I picked up my first gig at my leaving due, so I never did take any time out and never did craft anything. And so ever since 94, I've been running um, my own business as a a coach, trainer and facilitator because at the time BT's training and that sort of stuff was second to none. It really was excellent. So I felt kind of well, um, well versed in what I needed to do. And it's I I'll, I'll get into the story probably at some stage, but a big change happened for me in the early 2000s when I hit introvert burnout and I knew something had to change. And since then, I've been running my business very differently. So I'm sure we'll end up talking about that. Fantastic. Yeah. And there's some clues as to where we might go with that. Fabulous. And it's interesting. I love I love hearing these stories of, of people's sort of background in in learning. The fact that you started as an engineer there is possibly you know, no idea that you would end up in, like we said, our world of learning and development. But also how I think as an industry, we often get ourselves tied up in terminology, don't we? It moves from training to learning to development to performance. <laughs> to all sorts we, we seem to be obsessed with having the right label on what we do don't we it's quite amusing yeah. To yeah all in all it's working with other people to help them be better <laughs> well and and these days because I I ended up doing a master's um which I completed when I was 50 around change agent skills and strategies and I thought that's exactly what I am now I'm a change agent and if people say to me hang on, what does a change agent do? And it's like, well, you know what a travel agent does. You know what an estate agent does. So that gives us some clues to what a change agent does, you know. So, And, and that really sums up what I do with my clients now. Yeah, I like that phrase, change agent. That's uh, that's much more on the money, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. So introversion. 
yes i mean it's it's uh, quite a wide ranging subject um but it's it's one that i think has um has a quite massive impact on our, our subject of learning and especially sticky learning that we're talking about um yeah. where should we start should we start with your journey to understanding around introversion or would that be a good place to start yeah i think that's a really good place to start because like many of my clients I didn't find out till relatively late in life. So I always knew I was different. As a child, I would take myself to bed early because I could kind of, you know, burrow down in my bed and read until then it had to be lights out. And that felt like such escapism for me. In the summer months, I could hear all the other kids outside playing and, you know, making a lot of noise. And it's like, no, I was really happy where I was. And in my teens and early 20s, I faced a lot of ridicule and called some fairly unpleasant things like stuck up, snobby, lone, um, uh, antisocial, arrogant, you know, all sorts of terms levelled at me because I found it hard to join in. Um, and it, it wasn't until I hit my 30s and I was on, I was on a course with um, uh, Cranfield Management College. I was trying to think, go through them thinking which one it was. It was Cranfield. And it was the first time I'd done the Myers-Briggs type indicator. And I know people are really critical of it. So I'm just going to put that out there. I know that. But reading that little paragraph or two that summed me up perfectly was the first time I felt, actually, I'm okay. Because up until then, from education through into early employment, I just had years of being told, be different, speak up more, push yourself forward more, you know, do this, do that, till I got to the point where I felt that who I was wasn't enough and that I wasn't good enough just being Joe. So in that moment, it was like it was such a pivotal time in my life where I thought, you know, significant time where I thought, actually, here's some really valuable information that helps with my self-awareness. And there's a big but that's coming now. What that program didn't do was help me to understand how to play to my introvert strengths. So what it gave me the comparison was, was this is who I was as an introvert. And I looked at the round at the time I was already in the world of learning development by then. I looked around at my colleagues who were all the big character, almost entertainer type um, trainers. And I thought, ah, OK, so now I've got to be I know how to be more like them because I knew what made me different. So for I'm sorry to say almost a couple of decades, I then pretended to be more extroverted in order to fit in, in order to get the kind of delegates having fun and rolling around and, you know, big applause or whatever it happened to be. And and it did nothing for me. I, I knew, you know, I realised that I was compromising part of who I was. I was certainly compromising my values, one of which is authenticity and it's and integrity. And it's like I've, I was neither of those things throughout those years. And it just felt horrible. And, you know, I was even by my training colleagues, I was once called dull as the word starts with F. I won't finish it. <laughs> and no. and I, exactly. And. And, you know, that just perpetuated this, I must be different, I must be bigger, I must be more entertaining. And it's that that eventually led me to my introvert burnout about 2003, 2004, something around that time. And at the time I was, although 
running my own business, I was an associate with one of the well-known international training organisations of the time. And I phoned the managing partner from holiday in France, actually, and said, this has to stop. I can't continue. And he said, I can hear in your voice, you're really serious. So let's make this easy. So that phone call was made in September. And in October, I, I, I was no longer working with and for them. And of course, no pipeline, no, no potential business lined up because I'd spent so much of my time working with them. And what scared me, I think, was that I went home and sat in front of my computer in my little home office until January, staring at it, not being able to do anything, not having the capacity to think creatively or even strategically at that point. And of course, on reflection, I now know that was my introvert burnout. And it was a miserable three months for me. So part of my work I do now with introverts is stop them getting to that burnout place because it's so debilitating. There's, there's so much that comes out of that as you tell us through that, walk us through that story, Joe. Just in, you know, even if we push introversion, extroversion to one side, just the authenticity, you know, trying to be something you believe you have to be or ought to be in a certain role. Yeah. And and, and what that does to you in at some point, you're going to hit the hit the barriers on that. I'm going to hit, as you said, that burnout point. And also for you in that burnout period, not necessarily knowing straight away what the burnout was caused by, and then going through that learning journey as well. Yeah. Um, such crucial parts about it. So, so talk us through how you came out of that then. What, what happens next? Well, uh, I kind of had a, a knight in shining armour ride over the horizon on a white horse, actually. Um, it was January and all of a sudden I kind of woke up and thought I've got a tax bill to pay and I haven't been earning for a few months now. And whilst I had got money put aside, it wasn't enough for my tax bill. And all of a sudden I had this phone call from... A, a guy I'd connected with from my BT days, he was big into learning and development, and many people might know him, I guess, Mick Cope, who wrote Seven Seas of Consulting and, and those kind of books. And um, he said to me, Joe, I've, I've got a, a, I've won a, the, um, a contract to develop, deliver a women's development programme. Probably ought not do it on my own as a bloke, so will you co-deliver it with me? Oh, and by the way, that because of budget um, situation, they paid me in advance, so I might as well pay you as well in advance. We start delivering in February. <laughs> and it was like, you know, the universe provided for me. And mm. I have to say, these days I'm a fairly big believer in, you know, asking for what I need, putting the action in behind it and the universe somehow providing. So, what, what lifted me out of that burnout was, A, having had enough time to recharge my mental batteries, because that's one of the things that differentiates us as introverts, which no doubt we'll talk about, but also being reconnected with my passion in life. So there was somebody who recognised, you know, what I do and what I do well and wanted to engage me with it. And it just kind of reconnected me almost instantly. So that was the thing that lifted me out of that. Fantastic. And and I, reading between the lines of this, you were able to be more authentic in facilitating that programme than you had been previously. Absolutely. So the time had come then when actually I, I wasn't pretending to be something I'm not. I chose to show up as me. And boy, that felt vulnerable to begin with. Um, but what I realised is that 
being me enabled me to form a deeper level of connection with the people that I was working with. And so I started to get the kind of the felt sense of the feedback as well as the physical feedback that actually how important that was. Yeah, and, and such a and so, yeah, in programs of any depth, being authentic is is beyond critical, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Joe, let's explore a little bit around introversion itself and understanding more. And then the reason for that is because what you've just described is that classic scenario of you believing, like any of us might have, that I have to be a certain type of person in order to do a certain role. Now, if we strip the role out for a second and look at learning per se, I yeah. think learning sits into that mould as well to a certain extent. There's a lot of, you hear statements thrown around, learning has to be fun, learning has to be this, learning has to be that. And of course, 90% of those shoulds probably don't fit in the the bucket of preferences that introverts have, do they? So if we understand introversion a little bit more, then maybe we can start to look at things people can do to help those of an introversion preference thrive in learning learning interventions. Yeah, it's a great place to start. And I go to, I go straight back to the work of Jung for this. I'm a Jungian anyway. I'm not a Freudian. I'm a Jungian. But, you know, what he talked about is the things that differentiate an introvert from an extrovert or those who identify as those with preferences, however we choose to express it, mm-hmm. is it's where we get our mental energy from and what drains those mental batteries. And what we have, what we now know is that Introverts are overstimulated mentally. And if we look at some of the functional neuroimaging studies, we see that the brains of introverts light up differently to the brains of extroverts when stimulated in the same way. So we know this isn't just, you know, someone pretending or someone who's actually choosing it. We're just we're not weird. We're wired differently. And that's what that's one of my phrases that I really kind of work with now. And what goes with that is, of course, the I suppose the the tension that what what drains the battery of an introvert is the very thing that charges the battery of an extrovert. So whereas we need in when it comes to recharging, we need quiet, alone, or as my husband and I often refer to, companionable silence. So we'll go for a long walk and hardly talk. And it's not that we don't have anything to talk about, even though we've been together donkey's years. It's the fact that actually we're just enjoying our surroundings. I, I when we go out to dinner, I often see people looking at us with almost pitying faces and think, oh, look at that poor old couple over there, nothing to say to each other. But we're both foodies. We love food. We love the experience. And what we talk about is stuff that matters. So we don't fill silences for the sake of filling silences. So introverts are overstimulated mentally. They need quiet, alone time, plenty of time, you know, in, with themselves in order to recharge. That drives an extrovert mad. Extroverts need social interaction, active experiences and change in order to recharge their mental batteries. So we can already start to see how extroverts in the training rooms are the ones who are hooping and hollering and getting excited about everything and wanting to do everything and having fun <laughs> because that's recharging their mental batteries. And Extroverts like me are in the corner of the room going, oh, no. <laughs> and, and one of the things, you know, I've since I've chosen to work more with introverts, some of the stories they're telling me is fascinating. In the training room, as soon as the trainer says, 
Okay, let's go around and introduce ourselves and share something you've never shared with anyone before. <laughs> Introverts just just die a little bit inside. And you might say, well, that's not introversion, that's something else. You know, that's a bit of social anxiety or shyness or whatever. It, you know, it's it's coming across as far too common for introverts to, to want to do that. And it takes me right back to one of my first meetings as a manager in BT. And I was sat next to the chairperson because, you know, it was my first time in this big manager's meeting. And we had to do introductions because there were quite a few people. And, of course, he started the other side of him and went all the way round. By the time it got to me, I was shaking so much and my voice was so quavery, I could hardly say my name out loud. And it's not that I lack confidence, but actually the pressure of that kind of build-up had just been horrendous for me, which I now understand more. But at the time, it was like, God, what's what's the matter with me? I I know who I am. I can say my name, but I couldn't in that moment. But the other time where it really, um, and by now, this time I did understand I was an introvert, was when I was a delegate on a training program with a very experienced extroverted trainer. He asked me a question and I do what many introverts do, which is genuinely think about what my response is going to be because introverts are known to have this think say think communication process you ask us a question we check in with ourselves often physically as well as cognitively kind of what's my answer to this it's back to that authenticity piece and then we will share what our answer is and then reflect a bit more so many introverts when it comes to kind of the way we learn is often that reflector theorist kind of style and he asked me the question. I did my thinking piece. He moved off and asked somebody else, never came back to me for my answer. And then at the end gave me feedback that I needed to speak up more and, and I lacked confidence. <laughs> Neither of which was true, but it was a classic case of a trainer not understanding the introvert communication process. Just by contrast, you know, the extrovert communication process tends to be say, think, say. So you ask them a question, they'll shoot from the hip and give you their kind of answer. And I have one extroverted colleague in particular who you can almost see himself shocked as he's giving his answer. And he says, oh, I didn't know that was what I was thinking. And then he might refine it a bit and kind of, and, but the, the the kind of the long and the short of it is three Four hours later, he may not remember what he said because he didn't think it through. He's not attached to it in the same way that introverts are. So that's the first little peek into when we are working as trainers and facilitators with introverts. It's about giving people space to think through their answers and not rushing people, not assuming that they have nothing to say or they have no position on this, because that is often entirely wrong. And, you know, it's so interesting listening to that and thinking back through experience and time and before my level of understanding, I'm talking, I'm going to be, say this about myself, but I'm sure it accounts for a lot of facilitators. And even though I have an introversion preference, but probably didn't understand it in those days, the, the quieter participants, the ones that wanted to reflect and maybe not talk straight away, got probably labelled instantly as disengaged. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, and of course, as 
as facilitators, whatever our, however we prefer to be, what we measure ourselves on, how engaged our participants are. And of course, it's easy to put that kind of engaged means they're jumping out, like you said, and they're, they're full of these ideas. Whether they've even thought the idea for a moment, it doesn't really matter. I just want them to talk and be out there and, and shout and holler, like you said, um, yeah. when actually... And, and but the other part of this that I find really interesting is, one, they can be labelled disengaged, possibly. But two, as you, as all of us grow as facilitators and understand learning at a deeper level, we all get to this point where we realise that reflection is such a key part of learning. And actually, those that identify more as an intro or, or have a preference, that's like, almost have a head start there because that comes so naturally to them. And yet, we don't really play to that. You know, how, if I think of all the facilitators I've ever talked to, they'll often leave reflection to outside of the session afterwards as if it's an afterthought rather than actually utilizing within sessions where you know you know it's a useful skill for an extrovert to develop um, and actually plays straight into the hands of of an introvert and that's exactly how I what I build into the way I design programs now that that the reflection piece is built in but they also at the outset will tell people that you know we'll be doing some some we'll be having some experiences, I'll be sharing some theory, I'll be encouraging you to reflect and we'll be doing some planning about how you can go away and apply that, you know, the the standard old stuff really. Mm. But what I say is notice when it's tough for you because chances are we're doing something that isn't appealing to the way you naturally learn or your natural preference generally. And at that point, I really encourage you to stay with it. By all means, we can talk about it and flag it afterwards. But, you know, just stay with that, because actually what we need to do is make sure that we we are giving an, an equitable opportunity to everyone to learn, not just to those who like getting stuck in and, and having fun with something. 100%. And, and you know, as I'm, I'm probably consciously had already thought this through, but actually as we're talking about this, I'm already imagining there's significant advantages in the virtual world for those of an introverted preference. And one idea that actually sparked into my head is something that someone on a previous episode mentioned when, and it was um, an episode with uh, Erica Farmer and Hayley Bird from, um, and they were, they're, they're absolute experts in the digital world. And one of the things they were saying, because they had these really lovely creative ideas, they said, there's nothing wrong with putting people in individual breakout rooms. And it's just that sense. You imagine if you're in a room together, the idea of saying, all go and sit somewhere else entirely in the building on your own probably would never come up in your, your mind. But actually, the, the virtual world facilitates that very nicely and says, do you know what? It's reflection time. I'm gonna, we're not just going to expect you to turn the mute button on. You can actually go off into your own virtual world and, and reflect there. Um, and so there's lots of actual, yeah. and the fact that you can turn your camera off, you can mute, all things not available to you when you're in person in a session. So actually the virtual world does throw up some advantages, doesn't it? It does. And it also throws up some advantages for me as the trainer, as the facilitator, as the coach as well. Yeah. <laughs> so so one, one of the things is that, you know, it, when I was pre-pandemic, when I was face-to-face with people and I would often be in a client's, often on a client's site, and I would know other people. I've been working with some of my clients for nearly 20 years. So, you know, I know a lot of people in and around the client's site. And the number of people who would, when they saw I was on a break, would say, Joe, can I just have five minutes of your time? There's something I want to run past you. So 
my challenge as an introvert is that I never got a break from the moment I left home at silly o'clock in the morning to sit on a motorway for however many hours or get on a train to the moment I got home, you know, that I was, I was engaged in something as it were. Now in the virtual world, when we take a break, my camera goes off, my, my, my mic goes off. I'm on a break too. So I can do what is absolutely necessary for me as a as an introvert, which is to recharge ready for the next next session. Because even though I am I am me now as the way I show up delivering my training, I still need to recharge when I've got hours where I'm doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely priceless, isn't it? And, and it, it, as you were describing that, I'm remembering arriving in someone's office and immediately again into conversation with your client. You definitely want some downtime to recharge before you launch into your session. And then in the break, one of the participants wants to chat to you. And then at lunchtime, you can't sort of disappear. There's someone to talk to elsewhere in the business. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There is no recharge time at all, which obviously yeah. in, in the virtual world there is. But I think that recharging element is also really critical for the learners, isn't it? And, and giving them and recognising that there'll be people in that group that you're working with that might need recharge in the session, not just assuming it's going to happen straight afterwards for them. Yeah. So I think this is where we come into talking about the, you know, the choices people make in that you can either get into twos and threes and do a bit of reflection, talking it through with people, or you can choose to go into a room on your own. And of course, Zoom gives people the option to kind of choose what room they go into, which, you know, I I absolutely love. Mm. So making use of that solo time so that the extroverts who need to talk it through in order to maybe embed the learning or to to hear themselves reflect um they can do that whereas those like like me who would actually prefer to be on a room on my own can do it without fear of of you know being ridiculed in some way or or being mocked so i you know i think it's so important to to build those options into the way we design our programs and that then throws up to me how important it is to to A, to know your group and know the individuals in your group, but also to make sure they are self-aware as well. So they don't, like you said, they don't feel that pressure. It's like, well, we're in a group and it, we're doing a group discussion, so I ought to go in the room with a group rather than actually what would be best for me is to do recharge time. And so making sure they are self-aware enough to know that they can be confident to make those choices is, again, yeah. I think a really critical role for that facilitator to make, isn't it? It is. And for me, you know, ground rules is a rather old fashioned way of looking at things now. But, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of of actually just just exploring how we're going to work best together. If we're spending any length of time together, how we're going to work best together and making it clear that actually some of you may want to do this. Some of you may want to do that. And both of those are absolutely fine. So rather than saying, oh, well, if you want to you know, just making it absolutely clear at the outset. So those, somebody said to me, and it was, I think it was when I was on the training journal podcast, perhaps, you know, should we have different training programs for introverts? And my flat answer to that is no. A, because if you look at some of the synonyms associated with introversion, and it is changing a bit now, they are so pejorative. Who would who would honestly put their hand up and say, yeah, that's me? So, you know, if you if you Google introversion, you'll find things like um, uh, narcissist, wallflower, art, uh, autist, unsociable, antisociable, timid, withdrawn, 
Right. So that as soon as you use the word introvert, that's the sort of thing it conjures up for people. So I don't know many people in an organisation, unless there was a lot of psychological safety in the organisation, where people would go, yeah, that's me, I'm an introvert. So we need to find ways to make it okay for people to get their needs met without labelling it and without making them feel bad about it. 100%. And and I'm absolutely convinced that whatever the whatever the element of the program you're designing, even down to individual exercises, it doesn't take someone with huge amounts of brain power to design exercises where you can actually cater for the whole length of the spectrum of that that you want to, you know, the, the, a roles for people to play that want to get up and, 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 you know, be part of the, part of the demonstration for yeah. those that want to do the sort of the karma thinking things through and the, you can easily design exercises around that. Can't you? Absolutely. And then it's about how do you pull out from the learning of that, how people engaged and what they valued about what the other part of the group, because for me, the other problem with this introversion, extroversion kind of dichotomy and and where the extroversion bias started from, I have no idea, but certainly it's kind of, you know, it's in our whole education system, it's in business, it's in society, even though up to 50% of people identify as introverts. So in the UK, it's, you know, it's around about 47% of people identify as an introvert. In the US, it's over 50%. And yet we think of the US as being a very extrovert culture. Now, what that says to me is that even more people are pretending to be extroverted, which is damaging to mental health and well-being. So that's really sad. Um, so, so it is about making sure that what we've got in those exercises, as you say, is a chance rather than to further divide, is to say, so what do we value about the, the maybe the assimilation that the, the the quieter people who were observing what we were doing bought in, and, and how did that add value? So, the more we can start to value our differences rather than let it divide us, the better. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because that's essentially what you just described there makes me feel and it's, it's probably a really obvious observation that visible things are what we attach strengths to so when someone displays an extrovert type of behavioral manner it's visible we can see it but of course introverted behaviors and preferences are not visible so of course we position them down there and i love the way you talk about drawing out the strengths of that uh, those those certain elements that will have been mm. demonstrated by uh, by those of more introvert preference in a particular exercise yeah i think that it's yeah there is a multitude of ways that can be can be built in there now something else i find really interesting joe and considering the stats you just shared with me makes a lot of sense and that is that there seems a certain irony around the fact that more and more facilitators I know, people who are trainers, facilitators, coaches, um, are actually identified as introverts and recognised as introverts. Yet it's almost from the outside seen as this role where you're on stage, where you're yeah. you're there to you know create that charismatic presence that drives everyone towards the golden egg of the outcome that you're aiming for. And it doesn't surprise me in some ways because what we often think about is that it's binary kind of introvert extrovert and actually there are you know there are six different types of introvert so a classic introvert is maybe everything we would imagine an introvert to be almost our stereotypical introvert but then we get into the extroverted introvert types now these are introverts who still have that basic recharging need on their own but can access some of the extroverted behaviours without being depleted by them. 
And so the a lot of the trainers and, and kind of platform speakers who are introverts are probably what we would call an engaging introvert. So they're an extroverted introvert type who can have an audience eating out the palm of their hand. They're great storytellers, you know, they 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 have the charisma. But watch them beforehand. They'll be in the green room. They won't be kind of, you know, high-fiving with people. As soon as their piece is done, they're off to their hotel room or back to the green room. They're not signing books down the kind of, you know, the corridors. So that pre-charge, recharge piece is still really important. But what they can do is access that. And so for those five extroverted introvert types and then of course you might be a blend so you might be a a connected engaging sociable introvert people are going to look at you and say you're never an introvert because they're judging it by the behavior not by those recharging needs and so you're right the the thing that we need to come back to is where do people get their energy from behavior I can layer on top of that I can flex my behavior I just need to be aware at what cost. And if I'm going, for instance, to a networking event, which is not my preferred habitat as an introvert, but if I'm going because there are a couple of people that I really want to meet, I pre-charge first, I decide who I want to meet, I make connections and hopefully get that kind of, okay, we need to talk, talk more, let's get a date in the diary. Then I go home. I don't hang around till the end but I've pre-charged first, I'll do whatever I need to do, and then I'll recharge at the end of it. So for me, one of the vital things, both as a a trainer and a coach, but also for my participants, is that they have that recharging time, whether that means recharging, going to the pub afterwards, because they need to talk with people, or recharging quietly. And it's not right and wrong, good and bad, it's just different. Can I drill into because the idea of recharging I think for anyone who has a a modicum of awareness about their preferences and what they are will probably make a lot of sense and they may do it almost subconsciously without realizing uh, and and find that solo time that they need just to recharge those batteries pre-charging is an interesting one I think is probably less of an obvious technique to use do you want to, could you share with us some some of the techniques you do to pre-charge in readiness? Like you said, for a networking event or if you're facilitating a large group or you're doing a big presentation, what would you do to pre-charge? So pre-charging, some of my pre-charging and recharging techniques look very similar, actually. But for me, it's about ensuring I've got time out in the, you know, I'm not booked to do anything else just before I deliver a training session or just before I go to that networking event. Or or if it's a social event, before I go to the party, I make sure I've got a really chilled day before I go to the party, because then I know I'll, I'll probably have enough energy. But I've got um, a range of what I call brilliant battery boosters, which are the things that you can do quickly that get your battery topped up if you have to keep going. Because I'm aware that so many people in the workplace in and around this extroversion bias, so existing in open plan offices, having to put up with spontaneous meetings where there's no clear agenda and no one shared any information in advance, being submitted to... um, the uh, working out loud processes, which are great for extroverts and a nightmare for many introverts. Um, What I have is just a number of really quick techniques that range from things like 
using essential oils. So lemon oil, for instance, very good for bringing focus back again. Um, using acupressure points like the third eye or the one on the top lip here, just to kind of refocus. Movement, if I'm on my own, I'll say it here because no one's listening, are they? I'll have a little dance break, Mark. I'll kind of, you know, put my favourite music on and, and have a little jig around. If I'm in the office and I can't do that, I'll walk up and down the stairs a few times or walk around the block because just movement, just energy helps me to recharge. And there are a whole raft of these. And what I say to people is, you know, have your own but consciously access them. Look ahead in your schedule, see what you've got coming up and saying, okay, I've got that networking event, right? So I'm going to make sure that I meditate for a bit beforehand. And then I'm going to, I don't know, put some lemon oil on my tissue and I'm going to take that in with me. And then when I need to kind of pick myself up again, just a little sniff of my tissue and I'm away. So it's about, for me, it's about all of these things being very conscious. So you're right. Many of them we do subconsciously. Often what we need to do is bring them to conscious awareness so that they become strategy strategies for us as opposed to kind of, you know, things that might just help. And, and this is where this level of awareness can really help you thrive in aspects of your life that you might sort of almost be dreading. So rather than dreading the big training session we're going on with a big group of, of loud, Larry you know, managers from our business, um, and, and and almost retreating your shell. So you're almost distributing, you know, you're almost reinforcing the stereotypes about introvert preferences is having that strategy and that awareness so that you can still thrive in yeah. those moments that maybe don't come as natural or drain your batteries much more rapidly than they would drain uh, others at any point in time. Yeah. You know, and I, I, do, I, I don't want to seem like I'm drawing a line and stereotyping things too much, but and I know these, this isn't a binary discussion, but when you were describing that, I was thinking about the change we've gone through recently with this pandemic and how as we, I don't know if we're coming out of it, but as we move forward, this whole big discussion about homeworking versus office working and, and how, is that the division in the country between introversion preference and extroversion preference? Because clearly you know there there are obvious lines to be drawn in the sand for that it, it is and I've written a couple of articles about that very thing and uh, you know I talk about it as the hokey cokey of lockdown because you know we're in we're out who knows what we're doing next and one of my big I suppose complaints at the moment is so many organizations saying we've implemented hybrid working because to me hybrid working if we look at it in its purest sense is I choose where I get my work done and as an introvert, I'm probably going to choose that to be not the open plan office. I'm probably going to choose that to be, I don't know, a quiet coffee shop around the corner from where I live. Or if I'm lucky enough to live in an introvert friendly household, it may be working from home. So, you know, it's about choosing. But many organisations have said we've implemented hybrid working. You have to be in the office two days a week. Mm, it's not quite hybrid working. So you're right. It's not as simple as but what I've noticed in talking with my clients it's many of the extroverted managers who believe that business can't happen unless we're all in that place together and it worries me because I think that smacks a bit of a lack of trust but it also gives us an insight into actually because they need people around them to recharge their batteries they've assumed that that's what everyone else needs and where that really troubles me is knowing how many introverts exist in that open plan office, desperately trying to hang on to the last bit of their mental battery to do their best work, which is, after all, what we pay them for, 
while all around them is this kind of, you know, banter and gossip and, oh, have you got a minute? And all of which is probably talking about the football at the weekend or, you know, which which party they went to and stuff like that. And, and so introverts really struggle with that. So it's probably not as clearly defined as introverts want to stay working from home and extroverts want to be in the office. But I think if you drilled a little bit into it, you're probably going to find more of the introverts would like to be not in the office if they can do their work from home and live in an introvert-friendly household. And more extroverts would probably like to be in that open plan office. Yeah, and I wonder if this is this whole national debate about that or or even down on a more granular level within an organisational debate is raising people's awarenesses of their preferences more because the choice might be there now or the opportunity might be there. And that brings me back to to really our our sort of narrow subject matter of learning and thinking I'm, I'm not always convinced everyone is entirely aware of their preferences because of society stereotypes and because... learning in a way and learning interventions by their nature are often very, very well set up for extroversion preferences. So I'm wondering what what advice, if if there was an up-and-coming facilitator listening into this episode, Joe, and thinking, I've never really factored this in. I've Mm -hmm. I've run the exercises I I felt, you know, were were right to, to get the learning outcomes achieved, but I've never really taken into that account that level of difference in the, the individuals. What advice would you give them to, to identify and to to work subtly around this to make sure that they can weave this into their into their design and their facilitation. Well, if I can if I can weave in your points around engage kind of um, community and you know repetition and stuff like that engagement and and it's a particularly interesting thing to me because. Part of my master's dissertation was around, um, you know, how we how we embed the learning and how we get learners learner ready. So I know that that pre-engagement is so important. And it's about what we give people in terms of that pre-engagement piece. So, again, what I would encourage people to do is think about there being some choice around that. So, you know, watch a video, write a reflective piece, share with us your key learning from it or or an activity they can do that will actually pull out that kind of that same level of learning. So I think it's about choice all the time and noticing then who chose to do what. Because I think that's going to give us some really good clues when we do get either face to face or at least, you know, screen to screen with people, we can start to see what works best for people. And as you mentioned earlier on, you know, when it comes to us being in the in the social learning environment, not labelling those who aren't contributing as disengaged not doing that awful pose, pause, pounce thing that, you know, here's my question. I'm going to wait a moment. Joe, you know, answer that because I may not have had time to think it through clearly by then. So think about how how you give people the option to pop their ideas in. So, you know, people have talked about and people have tried in the past, maybe we write our ideas down, pass it on to the next person and they read out the idea so that I, you know, I haven't had to share my idea. On on a Tuesday in my group, I, I run, I do a live called Lessons from a Lurker because I notice in a lot of groups, I'm probably considered the lurker. 
because one of the introvert traits is that we will contribute when we have something of value to add. Now, I know that comes loaded with I'm already prejudging whether it's of value. But the biggest thing that we will assess is if somebody else has already said it or said it in a different way, I'm not going to bother because I'm I'm not going to use airtime just to say something that somebody has already said. So really think about how you get people involved. And and that's where often pairs work will work better. And once I've had a, a sense of who might be, I might put the two introverts together um, to do some pairs work, because what you'll often see is that they'll be maybe thinking and writing for quite a bit before they speak. And that's absolutely fine. Whereas the others will kind of be speaking first and, and it's almost like two monologues missing each other rather than proper dialogue. So again, give people the options of to to you know how to do that. And if you're if you're including fun stuff, because people seem to forget that fun is subjective, my big request for the introverts in the room is make it relevant and make sure you take time to draw out the learning from it, because they will probably be less than thrilled at having to do whatever the fun stuff is if they don't see it of as adding value. So, but at least if we take the time to draw the learning out well, then it it may, may, I think, make a a huge difference. And then I would say, you know, ensure that follow-up is relevant. So most people don't do much, you know, despite what we talk about in terms of um, uh, kind of measuring the the embedding, the learning, etc. But most people don't do much after the happy sheet. Sometimes the organisation doesn't want you to. But actually, that's when, back to your reflective piece, even though we've built in reflection time during, that reflection will continue long after for the introvert. So being able to give them an option to then kind of share some of their learning, or maybe sometimes I hold surgeries after, a little while after the learning, And anyone who wants to can pop in and say, I tried this and it didn't work, or they'll email me their thing first and we'll talk about it in the surgery time. And obviously I build that into the design and the cost. But it's often the introverts who show up to that surgery time because they just, you know, they've thought it through, they've reflected on it a bit more, they've tried something, it didn't work. So can we now talk that through? And that makes absolute sense to me. Yeah, this is, these are just absolute gold dust as tips there, because I'm listening to this and thinking, yeah, before you put your engage label on someone, wait until you've done the two months of, of, of follow-up and let's let's measure then at what state, not, not how engaged someone is, at what part of the learning journey were they seemingly most engaged. Yeah. And of course they'll be engaged with the whole process, but where they've shown up would highlight what their, their preferences are, absolutely. And I think the the idea at the beginning, the the, the two choices of, of, of pre-engagement activity is just simply genius. One is orchestrated more around extroversion preferences. One is orchestrated more around introversion preferences. Over to you to choose. And, and yeah. it immediately gives you, as a facilitator, design that in. It gives you such great insights, certainly if the, those people aren't aware and have flagged it with you already. Um, yeah. Fantastic. And and you know we're working with adult learners. Let's remember that. Let's give them the choice. Well, absolutely. But also we, you know, the, the whole purpose of this podcast and what we talk about, and clearly, you know, you did your your masters on this, is the only point of any learning intervention is it actually sticks and makes a difference. Yeah. And so if you don't factor these things in, and what you know, the the, the 
this is going to sound awfully damning, but the, the, the facilitator that's only interested in, in, in creating a show in the session themselves, that's more about them than it is about the learning sticking. Yeah. Taking these preferences in place means it sticks for whatever that preference of that learner is at any point. Yeah, in absolutely. Absolutely. Joe, I, I reckon I could talk to you about this all day long. <laughs> um, this has just been fascinating delving into it more, more deeper, not just at the sort of, like you said, the label level, which doesn't really help anybody. Getting under no. the skin of it is much, much, much more useful. I wouldn't be surprised because we know a lot of people are more introverted than they maybe care to admit, that people would be really interested to find out more from you and about you. Where, where would people find you on LinkedIn and your website and information about you? Where would they, where would they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Obviously, Joanna Rawbone will find me. Um, and I talk about myself there being a, um, a change agent and advocate of introverts. So you'll know you've got the right me there anyway. And I'm a one-stop shop when it comes to finding out about what I do. So if you go to flourishingintroverts.com, which is my website, you'll find there my TEDx talk, which I did in 2019. You'll find my podcast, which is the Flourishing Introvert Talks, dispelling the myth that we don't have anything to say. And you'll find uh, the occasional blog and musings that I do. And I think the Brilliant Battery Boosters is there as a downloadable for people if they want that. And also um, the programs that I run. So we've got um, uh, Introvert Emerging coming up, which is for those people who know they want to step up they're not hiding inside their introversion but they're the ones who say yeah i'm an introvert how do i now get to this next step so there's everything's there really fantastic well listen joe we'll add all of that to the, the show notes as well because that's really crucial information and that sounds like there's a lot of resources on your website fantastic joe thank you so much for joining us today and sharing such valuable insights um, around sticky learning and introversion preferences um, we'll get this published on all the usual podcast apps if you've enjoyed this please give us a rating uh, on the app of your choice uh, if you want to track me down you'll find me on linkedin uh, under either giraffe or mark williams as well and we would love to hear any ideas you want to learn about sticky learning for future episodes but all it says now is a big thank you to joe and we'll see you again soon i've loved it thank you thank you joe bye then